Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. On SAFM. Question of gun ownership and really ask and answer the question, are guns an effective tool for self-defense? Research in South Africa confirms global data which shows that more women are killed by intimate partner than a stranger. As of 2018, eight women are murdered a day, an estimated three of whom are shot and killed. A further risk is that guns brought for self-defense end up arming criminals. Guns are highly prized items and are targeted by criminals who cannot acquire guns legally. A gun in the home is also more likely to be used to commit murder, suicide or threaten and intimidate someone known to the shooter. We're in conversation, as I have said, with Mr. Adele Kirsten of Gun Free South Africa, director thereof. Good evening, Adele. How are you? Uh, good evening, Sangeza, uh, and hello to your listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. South Africa is a crime-infested society and violent crime is on the increase with just about every statistical report issued out by the ministry and the Department of Police. Where did we get it to be so wrong, first of all? Uh, That's a long conversation, Um, but I think we have a history of violence uh, dating back you know, centuries and decades, but then obviously particularly during the apartheid era. So I think um, a normalization of expecting uh, violence from the state, but also uh, high levels of interpersonal violence, uh, which doesn't just involve guns, is mm. that that I think there's, there's, it's not just an acceptance, but possibly even the sense that it's legitimate that when we have differences of opinion, uh, that if we don't agree with someone, that we use violence. But I think it's also important that we're talking as well about a small proportion of the population. But I think that there's, there's generally an acceptance across our society that violence is a legitimate way uh, of solving problems of getting what we want. So I think it's in the broader context And then when you add guns into that kind of mix, it's a lethal combination. And when you make guns easy, uh, easily available. But we do have, after the Firearms Control Act was passed in 2000, um, we saw a significant reduction uh, in gun-related deaths. In fact, we were able to halve our gun deaths uh, over a 10-year period. So we do have examples of good practice in the country. We do have an example of good policing, a good law being well enforced of being able to reduce our gun deaths. Things have changed over the last 10 years, but that doesn't mean we mustn't go back to that and see, uh, you know, what's gone wrong, as you say. And one of them, one of the things that's gone wrong is uh, fraud and corruption in the licensing of firearms. Uh, and also in the policing of firearms. I'll ask the questions in terms of how easily accessible really are guns a little bit later, but let me just talk about, just to sort of carry on the momentum of what you had touched on, the question of the Firearms Control Act of 2000 and the dramatic reduction in a 10-year period of gun-related offences. And specifically, there was a program some 10 to 15 years ago, or some 15 to 20 years ago, about the voluntary surrender of illegal arms that proved to be quite successful. And I haven't really come across a program of that kind since that one of 15 to 20 years ago. Would that, the proper regulation 
implementation of the Firearms Control Act in implementing its dictates, together with such social programs as is voluntary surrender of illegal firearms, such that we can increasingly generate the kind of attitudes towards guns that, say, a country like New Zealand was able to adopt. Immediately after that massacre in the mosque earlier this year, they passed a law like within a week or two, because their attitude towards guns is that they are not a necessity in society. Yeah. I think you're pointing to some really important issues. So if we, we look at New Zealand, and bearing in mind that it's a very different country to ours, but there were two or three ingredients which we've seen uh, present in other countries that moved swiftly after this kind of massacre. The one is strong political leadership uh, of in this instance, the, the, the Premier taking a strong lead and saying exactly this is not the kind of society we are. And the society as a whole coming behind that call. Um, and, and we see that happening in the UK and we saw that happening in Australia in 96, also after two massacres. Yes. So it seems that also in all of those situations, there's a key event which shifts. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a massacre. I argue, and, and Gunfrey has seen that, that in fact our transition from apartheid to democracy was a key moment for us of, to use the current language of reimagining what we could be, uh, what kind of society we could build. And the gun law in 2000 was very much part of that vision of being a society that could begin to forge new social relations with each other. Um, and and that went incredibly well, I would say, for the first kind of 10, 15 years post-94. Uh, mm. uh, and then one begins to see in 2010, 2011, uh, a number of things, an erosion of, of capacity within SAPS to implement the law, um, lots of fraud and corruption in the whole firearms control management chain. Uh, and, I, and I think... A, 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 um, a loss of morale within SAPS. And that was in 2010 was our last kind of big amnesty, which was just before um, the 2010 FIFA World Cup. In fact, one of the big successes, which is often not talked about, all all soccer stadiums were declared mm-hmm. gun-free zones. And it was on people's tickets to say, you know, this is a gun-free zone. It's inappropriate for you to be bringing a weapon into the stadium. Uh, there was policing, but there was also a kind of social contract of, like, this is a major event for our country, and we're all going to pull together. Um, and and so we, we can do it, but, you know, we kind of, we blow hot and cold a bit here sometimes. Why would we not have... Things. Why would we not have carried the momentum that was invariably given to us on a silver platter by the FIFA World Cup? Because, as you were saying, if we could get it right for that 30-day period about understanding the social value of why we just need to be, first of all, compliant, entering into these many social contracts, but also for the enjoyment of the environment, why then would we not take up that invitation after 30 days to create a society broadly on similar terms? Yeah, I mean, I would be interested in what your listeners say. It's a tough question. I, I, I think there's so many complex things going on in the country at the moment, and I think um, it, it was a difficult period post 2010. Uh, you know, I think we see now what's happening in terms of state capture. That was the beginning of uh, those kinds of, I guess, corrupt relations were beginning to be put in place. 
Um, but I also think our in, very big structural issues like our income inequality and poverty levels, you know, we're one of the most unequal societies in the world. So unless we're dealing with those massive structural issues, um, the, the, the focus on guns is, is in a way a, quite a quick win. It's a way of creating a space where you significantly reduce your violent crime and then you create the opportunity for other things to be put in place like long-term um, interventions in schools, early childhood interventions, other violence prevention interventions. We need a, really a whole of government and a whole of society response. Uh, which says we we can be differently to each other. And I mean, I think most of us have these experiences. We go to a jazz festival um, or on some of the public holidays, stuff that happens, say, in Joburg at, at Zoo Lake or at FNB Stadium. I mean, most of the time, we actually are able to uh, get along well with, with you know, with, within those big public spaces. Yes. And, but it's often in our homes that, things don't go so well. So I guess part of what we're saying with the guns effective for self-defense is there's often a sense of that the crime in our society is external. It's the stranger danger. But in fact, a lot of the violence happens within our home. And that's particularly relevant uh, during Women's Month because that's the place Absolutely. where women in particular are we 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 much more vulnerable to violence in our homes than we are on the streets. Well, we are certainly going to carry this conversation in the new hour because we simply have to go into guns, homes, women statistics. We have to probe that because we really are asking the questions. Are guns an effective tool for self-defense? And another question that will flow from that, are guns even necessary to be possessed by the society that South Africa is? Does our continued increase in gun ownership in South Africa respond truly to the problems of South Africans or South Africans feeling safe? Many questions that need to be asked, many questions more importantly that need to be answered. And for us to be able to move closer to the truths as it pertains to these myriad of issues that eventually flow from the ownership of gun and the use of gun in society as we now have the violent society that we are. We are asking callers at home. After the news, please, Adele will still be on the line. The number to dial is 0891-104-207. Are you a victim of a gun, however so? Do you own a gun for whatever reason? Let us have those thoughts. We are with you here. 0891-104-207. On the Viewpoint. Welcome back. This is The Viewpoint 2105. The time is, the date today, of course, is 27th of August 2019. Just to re- recap the first hour, we were in conversation with Professor and former Public Protector Advocate Tulima Donsela, who is the Law Trust Chair of Social Justice at the University of Stellenbosch. And currently, we're continuing the conversation we had started at just about quarter two with Ms. Adele Kirsten of Gun Free South Africa, serving there as the director. Adele, good evening still again. Hello. Hi, Adele. Indeed. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you so much for joining us. And we continue the conversation for another five minutes or so, just to five to ten minutes, just to get the and understand the statistics behind that. Earlier on, I read that as of 2018, eight women are murdered a day, an estimated three of whom are shot and killed. This is a 50% increase from 2009 when two women were killed 
and or shot and killed per day. And this coincides with what you were saying earlier on. Things have regressed since the era of the 2010 Soccer World Cup. So we're going back to levels that were unacceptable such that we made these decisive changes and moves, but now it seems all is lost and we're slipping down again. That is certainly we've seen since 2011, 2012, the murder rate increasing fairly steadily. Uh, and we see gun deaths tracking that as well. So, yes, and, and in fact, we're very close. Usually September, uh, late September, early October is when the Minister of Police re- releases the annual crime stats. Uh, so we'll be watching out for that to see if there are any changes. But I think anecdotally, and if, if, um, if you see from our infographic around the 21 women shot and killed every week in the country, I mean, we've just got a call coming in now that seven people uh, have been killed in uh, in Cape Town uh, mm-hmm. today. Um, so I, I think for for most of us, even not looking at the official crime stats, uh, there's, there's definitely a, a sense that there's been an increase in, in violent crime. And that's largely because of the fact that more people have guns and guns can only do one thing. I mean, guns are not designed for anything else other than if and when they are used, they are, they are going to cause at the very least serious, grievous, serious bodily harm or at worst, they might just create a permanent solution. Why should we not have guns at home or why should we have guns at home? Well, I mean, the, the, the issue about guns is the, the risk that they pose. Uh, for members in the family. So the research both globally and in South Africa shows that you are at risk uh, for things like what, what is family murder and suicide, which is often the men, not always. We've been seeing a number of women um, doing murder-suicide where you kill the family and then you kill yourself. Um, it's called uh, femicide-suicide when it's your intimate partner and the man kills his female intimate partner and then himself. And we see that phenomenon uh, really taking hold within uh, SAPS members. And then there's the issue of accidental injury. Um, We just had um, an incident a couple of weeks ago where a 14-year-old boy in Alexandra was playing with his mother's service pistol. She wasn't at home at the time, and he accidentally shot and killed his 12-year-old friend. So these are the realities. And I think for many people who have guns, thinking they are a means to protect their family and their possessions and their loved ones, um, there's a sense of that this won't happen to me. Um, this is, and, and I guess part of our role as an advocacy organization is to make the public aware of the risks associated uh, with a gun uh, and, and getting a gun for self-defense because that's, that's the reason most people in South Africa who apply for a firearm uh, license cite as needing a, a weapon for self-defense. And we're one of a number of countries in the world who, who regard self-defense as a legitimate motivation and reason uh, for applying for a licensed weapon. Without necessarily drawing comparisons that are in any way going to be relevant for the most part, they will remain irrelevant between South Africans and a first world nation such as is Switzerland. But in terms of the culture of gun ownership there, it is decisive, decidedly different. Just about anybody in Switzerland is competent in the use of a gun. But they don't nearly have the kinds of problems, say, a country which is of comparable wealth as the United States. 
of course, the Second Amendment is the biggest stumbling block in it as it pertains to gun ownership. But they've got real problems when it comes to gun ownership, and the NRA is one of the problems as it pertains to that. South Africa, can we get to a point whereby we can, notwithstanding the kinds of challenges we have, but because we own guns and they are, for, at least for the foreseeable future, here to stay, develop a culture and an ethic in terms of how we own guns such that we can avoid stories of a 10-year-old or 5-year-old playing with a gun and killing a friend who's also a minor because the owner of the gun was negligent, if not simply completely irresponsible and criminal. The thing is, I think there really, I guess, three factors which can contribute to that. The one is the law. I think we underestimate the impact that legislation can have on altering behavior. And so a strong law that's well enforced um, and that, you know, in order for a law to be effective, you also need your end user, and in this instance it would be your licensed gun owners, to be compliant. So that's a key uh, factor in, in coming to the kind of situation that you're describing. The other, though, is a well-equipped, well-resourced, uh, police service that's able to monitor what's going on uh, to know who's owning which weapon for what purpose a, a very accurate record keeping system but also as importantly at the same time is mopping up the illegal weapons that's really a central task of SAPS is to make sure that the weapons that have been lost or stolen or been obtained illegally or homemade weapons or through cross-border trade, wherever the weapons are coming from, that SAPS has to make sure that those weapons are taken out of circulation sure. uh, and then destroyed. Uh, and I guess the third element is the, the stuff we've spoken about earlier, the kind of social contract that we want with each other, um, which says that actually having a firearm creates too many risks for all of us, that it's a public health issue and that it's in the public interest not to have a weapon uh, because of the risks associated with it. But if if people are going to have weapons, then issues of safekeeping uh, and mm-hmm. really complying with the law. So I think there are a number of factors, and in, in, in a way we need all of them uh, to work together towards creating a society where we really are free from the, from the fear of, of gun violence. Question from one of our listeners. Good evening, SAFM, as well as the listeners. I would like to ask here with regard to self-defense. Is it wrong to use your legal lethal weapon when being robbed, maybe also being escorted by robbers who then say, stop, don't run, cause the bullet won't miss you? Wasn't self-defense at that point necessary? How many times must you be robbed before you apply self-defense? That's a question from one of our WhatsApp listeners. Do you want to respond to that, please? Uh, well, I can. The only thing I can respond to is that both the Firearms Control Act and the, it's the Criminal Procedure Act. I think it's Section 49. I'm not 100 percent sure. The law is very clear that you may only use your weapon if your life is in direct threat. Um, and so, so I guess the best example is if you're in your home and you hear someone jumping over the gate or whatever, and and you think it's an intruder, you can't just go into your garden and shoot at the person. So the law is very clear that your life has to be under direct threat before you can shoot. Uh, And and as far as I'm aware, there are a number of cases where uh, a victim who's shot back and killed um, an attacker 
uh, it, there have been one or two court cases. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's something that people feel strongly about. It's quite contested. Um, and it's exactly the sense of all of us feeling a bit under siege. And so what do you do? Um, but the law is very clear. You can't just uh, shoot when uh, there's not a direct threat to your, to your life or, or the life of those, uh, you know, your loved ones, if there are other people uh, with you at that time. Fair enough. Well, final question. Are guns an effective tool for self-defense? No, there's no evidence to um, suggest that they uh, can can defend you against crime. Uh, and in fact, rather the reverse, that you are uh, more at risk to have your gun stolen off you, uh, to be able to use it for self-defense. Uh, and what that really ends up doing is arming the criminals. Um, we have... Um, Something like 24 guns lost or stolen every single day uh, from civilians. Uh, in fact, 70% of uh, guns re- reported lost or stolen from South Africa uh, in South Africa have been lost uh, or stolen from civilian gun owners. Um, so, so those are the risks associated with having a gun for self-defense. So it's a myth uh, that they are effective. They're good as an offensive weapon, but they're not good as a self-defense weapon. Let's leave it at that. Thank you so much, Mr. Dal Kirsten, Director at Gun Free South Africa. Answering finally the question, are guns an effective tool for self-defense? The answer is categorically no. We'll be back right after this where we perhaps have a conversation about how traditional African medicine might protect us as a means of self-defense. Goko Nomsa Sibeko of the African Traditional Medicines Industry Association. She's a member of the executive, also a traditional healer of 13 years in standing. Why is African traditional medicine not given the regulation and recognition it deserves? And to what extent, if at all, do you believe in it? Think medicines, think guns, think massacres. We'll be back right after this.